Our scripture reading today is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and um, this passage is so full of so many important things that really as I was studying it today, or this, uh, yeah, I just started studying it today, uh, this past week, I thought, you know, it's about time for a sermon, I ought to, no. as I was studying it this week, um, I thought I should do a sermon series on this passage, not just one Uh, But we're going to pick out about three points, and if they're not the three points that you like the best in this passage, my apology. We'll we'll get to those some other time. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please Him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then... We know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind... It is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all. And therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one. From a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. May God bless the reading of his word. I remember being in the uh, baptistry changing room preparing to baptize a teenage boy that I had really only met. Uh, He had connections to San Angelo and family connections to this church and had decided that he wanted to be baptized and had come here to be baptized. So I had just met him. And we certainly wanted to honor that request. So most of you know how that goes at the end of the service. If someone has requested baptism, we run up there and we put on our baptismal garments. And and, uh, you guys are going on with other things. And and if we're taking a little too long, you start singing a song. And I can hear that up there and think, oh, we've got to hurry, we've got to hurry. And so finally we were ready to go and you guys were singing a song 
and uh, I was going over the last-minute mechanics of what we were going to do, uh, the things that are not the most important, but still, you're going to stand here, I'm going to stand there, and I'll ask this question, and then we'll do this, all right? So I looked at him, and I said, any questions? He said, yeah, I have one. <laughs> he said, what about me is going to be different after I do this? <sighs> I thought, we've got 30 seconds <laughs> before we go out there. Oh, wow. It's a great question. And one that deserves a great answer. I hurriedly tried to say some things. Thinking all along, I hope that we have some more time that we can sit down and talk about this later. Well, that time never came. I've never seen that young man since. And so as I was reading this passage and thinking about what we should bring out of it for today, that coming back you know, that scene kept coming back to my mind. And I thought, you know, there are a lot of things in this passage that would be great answers for that. Now, there's more that needs to be said about what happens whenever you're baptized. But there are at least three points here in this passage that talk about what happened when we were baptized. What is it that is changed about me whenever I go down into the waters of baptism, come up pledging my heart to God? The first thing we want to look at is this one. Paul says, from this point on, we aspire to please him. Now, your version and the version I read and the version I was supposed to read that was up there, all of those have a little bit different interpretation. They say, well, we make this our aim or we make this our goal. If we wanted to be literal about it, the word that Paul uses there says, we love to count it an honor. From this point on, we have a lifelong aim, goal, passion, aspiration. This is who we want to be. Now, I would like to point out, first of all, that that may be a change in and of itself. Because if you think about it, we tend to live our lives goal to goal to goal. We kind of have a series of goals. You guys, you want to graduate from high school. You guys, you want to graduate from college. Some of y'all are wanting to get married. Some of you are wanting to have children. Some of you are wanting to get a job. And, you know, we just sort of, we, we have one goal, and that's where we're headed, and that's what we're working on. And then when we achieve that goal, we move on to the next goal. And that's kind of the way we live our lives, is goal to goal to goal. I know for many years, I was driven by academic goals. I want this degree, then I want that degree, and then I want that degree, and then I want that degree. And that's how I lived. I just worked my way from degree to degree to degree. And then you finally get to the last one. And honestly, I remember, Pat can tell you, I sat down and go, I don't even know who I am anymore. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I'm a student. I go to school. I study. That's who I am. I need to have a goal. 
So maybe one goal that changes or one thing about us that changes is that when we're baptized, we have an ultimate goal, an ultimate aim, an ultimate passion that transcends all these small ones in between along the way. That we've made up our mind that this is who I am and this is what I live for. Well, obviously the goal that Paul says that when we become Christians, when we become disciples, our ultimate passion, aim, aspiration, goal becomes to please Jesus. Now, that is great news. You know why it's great news? Not only is it something that can last a lifetime and it can drive us through all phases of our life, the really good news is, contrary to public opinion... Jesus can be pleased. And sometimes we get in our minds that he's somebody that just kind of like other people in our lives, sometimes you hear someone say, there's just no pleasing that person. And we can kind of get the idea that that's what Jesus is like. We'll never live up to the standard that will be pleasing to him. I think if Jesus were here bodily talking to us today, he'd say, no, 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 you've got the wrong impression of me. It's not that difficult to please me. You can do it. One passage that comes to my mind when I think about that is found in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. It says, come to me, all you who are tired, who are weary, all you who are carrying heavy burdens through this life. I'm here to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Translation, I'm pretty easily pleased. You can do it. You can make me happy with who you are and what you are. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So it's great news That when we become Christians, we have a lifelong goal that will take us on into eternity. It's also good news that that goal is accomplishable. We can do it. We can live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. Granted His mercy and His grace. Now, I'm not saying we're going to live perfect lives. I'm not saying we're not going to struggle. But Jesus Himself became human. He understands struggles. Jesus himself gave his life for us and shed his blood for us to make up for our deficiencies and the things that we just can't quite get right. So we do make it our aspiration to please him. It's great news, too, as I just mentioned, that it functions in every stage of our life. That it is you're able to please Jesus whether you're young or you're old. Now, you guys can't go out and get a job that may, that, where you make $200,000 a year right now, can you? You're going to get one, aren't you? All right, okay. You can't do that right now. You're too young. You're not ready for that. But right now, even as young people, you can please Jesus. Those of us who maybe have gotten a little older and don't quite have the energy we used to have, we can't do the things we used to do. 
There are certain things we've had to check off our list and say no more of that. But we can still please Jesus. Some of us have lost our health. And it's hard for us to even get around. And there's so many things we can't do anymore. But we can still please Jesus. Some in this room are beautiful people. You know, talented. Things just seem to come easy for you. Some in this room struggle. We're more plain, more average. There are things in life we'll never accomplish. But there's one thing we can always do. We can always please Jesus. Isn't this wonderful news? To set this as our goal, that that's who I'm going to be all through my life, is one who pleases Jesus. Now, the interesting thing is, Paul gives one more little bit of encouragement on this. He says, what's wonderful about setting your goal and your aim in life is to please him, is that one day, all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of the Christ. Now, if you just pull that verse out of context, you say, well, that's a scary one, you know. I can just see myself standing there like this. <laughs> and, and here's Jesus up on the throne, reading over my whole life, pointing out what I did. Oh, and the, oh look that. Oh, oh. That's not the picture he's given. You're going to be standing before the one for whom you lived your life to please. He's the Christ. He's the one whom God sent, his anointed one, in order to call us back to him. You're going to be standing before your Lord, the one whom you served and held up and respected all of your life. You're going to be standing before your brother, the one who loves you like a sister and a little brother, recognizing that we all have the same father, you're going to be standing before a friend, one whom you've lived your life to please and honored. You're going to be standing before your Savior. Isn't that good news? So therefore, we live our lives to please him. Two more, can't, can't spend quite as much time on these. He goes on to say something else that has changed whenever we become a Christian, is for the love of Christ has a hold on us. Two little exegetical points. The love of Christ, what does that mean? You can read it either two ways. You ever look at those pictures that if you look at it one way, it looks like one thing. You look at it another way, it looks at another. Well, love of Christ, that can mean the love that Jesus has for us, or it can mean the love that we have for Jesus. So which is the right way to read that? Well, they both are. However, we have to recognize whose love is primary. His love for us. The, re the reason we love him is because he loved us. In this is love, John says. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. That is what frees us. That is what compels us. That is what calls us to love him when we stop and recognize how much he loved us. He loved us enough to empty himself, as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, from the lofty position that he had right beside God himself, 
pour himself out in order to become a human being just like us, to live a life, to die just like we face the prospect of death as well, and not just any death, but the worst death that man has ever devised. He loves us that much. And that kind of love does something to us. If we allow ourselves to stop and think, whenever I pledged my heart to Jesus Christ, then I pledge myself to one who loves me, who loves me more completely than any person on this earth will ever love me. Even my mom, even my dad, even my spouse, even my children. There is one who loves me even more. And when we allow ourselves to stop and think about that, Paul pulls out a word, suneko, if you want to know the word he used. And it, it's a word that, that means to grab hold of and to grasp someone. You know where this word is most often used in the Bible? It's most often used referring to a disease. You catch a disease. A disease comes and just takes over your body and, and holds it in its grip. Well, he's not talking about a disease here. He's talking about the love of Jesus is what has a hold on you. And because it has a hold on you, then you must simply respond to him and, and, and do something about that. Because he loves you so much, then well, let me, let's let Paul tell us what happened. He says, we are convinced that one has died on behalf of all of us. Therefore, all have died. And he died on behalf of all of us so that those who live might live no longer on behalf of themselves. This kind of sounds like last week's sermon, doesn't it? It's not about us. Remember that? Okay. So really, we realize that we're no longer living on behalf of ourselves. We're living on behalf of the one who died and was raised on behalf of us. In other words... Jesus' mission becomes our mission. In other words, we are called upon to do the things in our bodies that Jesus would still be doing were he here in bodily form. Now, Jesus is still with us and empowering us, but there are things that he was able to do. One of the whole things about the incarnation, Jesus becoming human, was so that he could accomplish things on this earth that he could not do totally when he was in his spiritual form. And now that he has ascended back up into heaven and to be with Jesus in the spirit, be with God in the spiritually realm, spiritual realm, it's up to us to do the things that he wants to still be doing. That's what changes. Whenever we're baptized, we say, okay, I know there are things that you want done, and I'm going to get busy, and I'm going to do them. One last thing, we now regard other people differently. Paul illustrates this point by saying that once he had a different view of Jesus Christ himself, he used to think of Jesus as this uneducated Galilean carpenter, who was just a troublemaker. He went about teaching a funny view, vision or view, a version of the Bible, and had all these people all worked up and was causing all kinds of trouble. So the Jewish authorities finally got rid of him. They arrested him and crucified him, and that was that. That's what he used to think about Jesus. But he said, no longer. Wow, 
how different a view he now had. And because of that, he says, we don't see anyone else the same either. When we see other people now, we recognize them as the creation of God himself. We recognize that they are fellow strugglers along with us. We recognize that some of them do not have the Spirit of God to lead them, to guide them, to encourage them. We don't put people into groups and say, okay, I like this kind of person. I don't like that kind of person. I like people that look like me, act like me, talk like me. Those are the people that I want to be around. All of that changes. And when we come up out of the waters of baptism, we have made the pledge that we're going to open our eyes and see other people the way God sees them. People who are struggling and looking for God themselves. Therefore, what changes whenever we become Christians? Let's let Paul at least tell us three. We make it our aspiration to please our Lord Jesus. His love has a hold on us, and we see people differently. A couple of questions as we close. Have you made that kind of commitment? Whether you've been baptized or not may not be the question. The question is, have you made this kind of commitment? Have you made a commitment that from that point on, that everything you do is governed by what pleases him? Have you made a commitment to let his love have you in its grasp to mold and to shape you? And if you made a commitment to look out upon those whom you encounter on a daily basis as the very people that Jesus came to seek and to save. We're going to stand, we're going to sing. The leaders of this church stand on the edges of this uh, building every time we do this. Oh, uh, my heart, I wish so badly. Those of you who are sitting there thinking, I don't know if I've made those commitments or not. Maybe I need some help in doing that. Or maybe if you have some other burden, you're worried about this, you're worried about that, you're worried about your son, you're worried about your daughter, you're worried about... This is the opportunity. Let this church be a church and go to one of these leaders and let them pray with you now. Let's stand and sing.